a sacrifice new. On this night, we observe three important events, you could say. First, we have the institution of the Eucharist, in which Christ gives us his enduring presence, by which we can already experience union or communion with him. Secondly, in order to have the Eucharist, Christ gives us the priesthood. But the priesthood is not one of power and authority, but Jesus shows us what it is to look like. He gives us a model of service. When we talk about the Mass as a sacrifice, I've heard non-Catholic Christians say, well, how come you're re-sacrificing Jesus? Why are you, like, killing him over and over again or something? And it's like, well, no. There is only one sacrifice of Jesus, that the sacrifice on the cross is the sacrifice of the altar. It's one and the same sacrifice. Of course, at the Last Supper, that is tonight, his words didn't make a lot of sense until the next day when he offered his body. They're like, oh, that it's, it's one and the same. But because God is eternal, that his sacrifice is for all eternity. And you and I, when we come to Mass, we're tapping into eternity. That there's one eternal sacrifice, but we connect with it when we come to Mass. Our opening prayer is very beautiful. There's a phrase that stood out for me, but I'll read the whole thing again. O oh God, who have called us to participate in this most sacred supper, in which your only begotten Son, one about to hand himself over to death, entrusted to the church a sacrifice new for all eternity, the banquet of his love. Grant, we pray, that we may draw from so great a mystery the fullness of charity and of life. That what happens here is mysterious, but it's the source of charity. This is what love looks like. Which is kind of interesting. I'll point that out at weddings. I'm like, you want to know what married, you don't want to know what married love looks like? That. <laughs> it's like, what? But it's like, yeah, I lay down my life for my bride. Christ shows us what love looks like. And this is the source of love. It's the source of life. That the God of life, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life that he gives us himself. And so a couple little pieces into that, then I'll give some examples. In our first reading, we hear of Passover, in which God is instructing the people about how the lamb will be slain, the blood will be poured out. Nowadays, when Jewish people gather, if you've been to a Seder supper, it's interesting, one of the most interesting lines of the night is when the youngest boy says, why is this night different from all other nights? And it's very different. Instead of saying, why was that night different from all other nights? Instead, he says, why is this night? That 
that the Jewish notion of remembrance is that is we are present to that. Just as at Mass, we are present to the Last Supper. So every Mass is the Last Supper, but in a particular way. Tonight we celebrate the Last Supper in a, in a unique way. And so Jesus makes his offering. He makes his sacrifice. But it's interesting what St. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.24 now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. And people will say, are, are you saying that Christ's sacrifice was not enough? Are you saying that his sufferings were not enough? No. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. But the only thing lacking, you could say, St. Paul says, is my, my participation with him. Does that make sense? So Jesus offers the perfect sacrifice, and what he invites is for you and I to make our own sacrifice, our own offering with him. And we're able to do that strengthened by the Eucharist. That strengthened by the Eucharist, I'm called to lay down my life in service of others. What does this look like? There's a couple examples. Um, recently I saw this, um, there was a student who was sharing with me that this has been a very busy week. And his capstone is coming up He's been doing homework like all day, every day, and is just like, I'm exhausted. And while he's telling me this, he's writing on the whiteboard things for his Bible study. That in the midst of school, which is very important, that he's sacrificing time to be able to lead other people in a Bible study. It's a small sacrifice, but it's something. I heard this mother shared with me recently how she had young children at home and she realized that she wasn't able to be there for them like she wanted to, like they needed. And so she reduced her work hours. She made the sacrifice of working less in order to be present to her children in a way that they may or may not notice but would have a lasting impact in a way that maybe other people would never notice, but it was a sacrifice of love to do something kind of hidden for her children. I was thinking about that, made me think about my, my own mother and father. My parents have been married 51 years. My dad's had diagnosed dementia for seven years at least. And even this past week, uh, I go down on Tuesdays and I help in the evening and every day for the last we'll say definitely for the last five years the the ordeal to get my my dad up and you know having breakfast is about two hours minimum the ordeal for him to have dinner and use the restroom and get to bed 
is like three hours. And like every single day, my mom takes five hours of her life at least just to care for my dad who has no idea what's going on. That for me, that's one of, like, that's what marriage is. Marriage is I, I love you and I lay down my life for you even if you do nothing for me. That, that I am offering this gift. And you and I, we cannot do that by our own grace and strength. Like that kind of day after day, I mean, I kind of feel that. I'm like, I love you, mom and dad, but I'm going back to flag. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in their marriage, you know? Like it's, it's their marriage and there's particular grace there, but I, I'm like, it's only by God's grace that they're able to, to make that gift. Jesus knows that, so that's why he gives us his grace, so that we can make our own sacrifice, our own offering of love to the Father, to the world, strengthened by his grace. When I was in seminary, after my second year, I spent 11 weeks in Guatemala learning Spanish, and while I was there in this town of Antigua, the people kept talking about this priest who had come 25 years earlier from the U.S. because in the 1960s, uh, Pope St. John XXIII called for priests to serve as missionaries in Central America. And so here's this young farm boy, five foot ten, red hair. I guess five foot ten is important because people in Guatemala are like five foot tall at the, at the most. Um, and so he's from this small farm in Oklahoma and he struggled in seminary. He failed a couple classes, but by God's grace and will, he persevered. His name was Father Stanley Rother. Well, during, he heard in seminary this call of the Pope, and he's like, all right, I'll go. I'll go to this Central American place where I don't speak the language, and I'll help serve. And he spent 13 years there, and he would, he would travel around to these different villages, places that, that had mass like once a year. They'd longed for the Eucharist. And he was willing to go on these dirt trails and these hills and, and bring them the Eucharist and hear confessions. And because of his growing up, he was able to like help fix their trucks, you know, and help them farm because he was a farmer. And he put together a farmer's co-op, a school, a hospital. He started a Catholic radio station so that those who were far away could still hear the faith and they could be catechized. But if you know anything about Guatemala in the 80s, uh, it was pretty intense. There was a war between the government and the people. It started in the cities and then it spread out into the, t the country where people were being kidnapped, murdered, that people that he knew would just disappear and you'd find out later that they had been killed. And in 1981, his name appeared on a hit list. And so his bishop's like, you need to get back home. And so he, he came back to the U.S. And as Easter got closer, his, his heart was for those people in Guatemala. He's like, I'm here safe, but I have a heart. I want to go be with them. I want them to have Jesus in the Eucharist for Easter. And so he went back to Guatemala. And he wrote a letter back to his, the people back in the U.S. And he said, the reality is that we are in danger, but we don't know when or what form the government will use to further repress the church. 
Given the situation, I am not ready to leave here just yet. But if it is my destiny that I should give my life here, then so be it. I don't want to desert these people, and that is what will be said even after all these years. There's still a lot of good that can be done under the circumstances. The shepherd cannot run at the first sign of danger. Pray for us that we may be a sign of the love of Christ for our people and that our presence among them will fortify them to endure these sufferings in preparation for the coming of the kingdom. The shepherd cannot run. On July 28, 1981, men came in the middle of the night and killed Father Stanley. And on September 23, 2017, Father Stanley was beatified one step away from being a canonized saint in the church. He will be the first American-born martyr. After his body was sent um, back to Oklahoma City, by the request of the people of Guatemala, his heart was, taken, was sent back to Guatemala because that's where his heart was. His heart that was willing to pour out in love and in service to these people even to make that ultimate sacrifice. That, that his sacrifice in time echoes now for eternity. And it shares in Christ's living sacrifice. That Christ's sacrifice is eternal. But you and I have a, the ability to receive from that sacrifice and to make our own that also echoes for eternity. That we have an opportunity to make our own sacrifice new in Christ.